When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the age of Jeremy. I'm the leader when it comes to advice with business content, creation software, taxes, investment, education, and all the hobbies that I enjoy which I share with you on this podcast. So make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get to this podcast. Also, I started a YouTube channel and you guessed it. It's called Age of Jeremy. We will be having YouTube shorts. So we'll be coming out a few times a week and some longer videos like eight to 15 minute videos will be coming out every other Thursday at 5 p.m. starting this Thursday, July 7th. I also post every day on TikTok at Age of Jeremy, Instagram at Age of Jeremy, and Twitter at Age of Jeremy Q. If you want to reach out to me, hit me up on Snapchat at Age of Jeremy. I also have a Twitch channel called at Age of Jeremy. I do not currently have a schedule for this, but I will eventually. You can be notified when I'm live on Twitch by subscribing to my Twitter account, which again is at Age of Jeremy Q. I own a company called Age of Radio. We are a media company that offers a free podcast hosting Um ability and the ability to join our podcast network absolutely free. So check out the website at ageofradio.org. We also offer editing services and equipment services. We are all about building a community age of radio. So we do have a Facebook group and a discord, which is brand new. You can find links to them in the episode description. I also own a company called 3T Warrior Academy with my business partner, CJV. You can follow him on TikTok at CoachJV underscore. Links to our free Discord are also in this episode description. I'm also opening up myself for bookkeeping and tax services to a small amount of people. If you are interested in that, please email me at jeremy.quintanilla. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y dot Quintanilla, Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-I-L-L-A at qfinancial.com. Again, the email is in the episode description. You can see our pricing at www.qfinancialllc.com. Again, that is www.qfinancialllc.com. All right, I think that's enough. Let's get to this show on the road. My name is Jeremy Quintanilla. You are listening to Age of Jeremy. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm the co-founder of Age of Radio and 3T Fitness and well, other businesses that I am working on. This podcast is about everything that I learn and the trials and tribulations it took to learn them. I hope you enjoy.
In this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about what it means to survive a recession. And before you can really understand what it means or tips to how to survive a recession, you kind of need to know what a recession is. So, well, in boring terms, a recession is a business cycle contraction when there is a general decline in economic activity. They generally occur when there is a widespread drop in spending. This is sometimes because of financial crisis, like we're experiencing with the crypto crash and um Uh, conversely with the uh, stock uh, market, bear market that we're currently in. Um, It can also occur because of an external trade shock, such like we are having in Ukraine, along with some other foreign policies that we have here in the United States. Um, You can also experience this from a bursting economic bubble or some type of asset burst that happens when we think of like the housing market. Now, the housing market hasn't collapsed or burst, but the housing market has slowed down, which again, retracts on spending. You can also experience these from a national disaster, which we are having an increase in COVID cases. And a lot of places like Maricopa County will be moving, I believe, to uh, another lockdown or attempting to do some type of lockdown, not lockdown. I'm sorry, where you have to wear your masks when you go into businesses. Um, So there's a lot of things that are happening uh, that can that have, um, I guess, influenced or caused this recession that we are either in or about to be in. And so essentially, it means that people aren't buying as much shit, which means capitalists aren't making as much money and spending, and they then start cutting costs, which then means people can't spend as much again, which then means that capitalists are making even less, so they continue to cut spending, and it goes on and on like that until it stabilizes itself, or usually what happens is the government comes in and helps out. Now, a recession only lasts a few months, traditionally, um, but it can go longer. um, And when it goes longer, it's technically called a depression or a longer recession that then we don't like the Great Recession. We still call the Great Recession of 2009. Um, It went on for a year or so or more, year and a half. I believe if it continued to go on, then it would have been categorized as a depression. All right. So essentially, uh, how can you really... Um, survive one of these? And are we really about to have one? Well, I believe that we are going to be coming into a recession here in the next couple of months into the beginning of next year. Um, But if it doesn't happen and things kind of curve, we probably will be having one sometime in the future. So it's kind of a smart idea to think about it now and think about how you can prepare for it or put yourself in a better better, uh, situation than you are currently in if um, to survive it, if something does happen, maybe you you lose your job or, you know, certain things get cut or you have a business and people aren't going to be spending as much stuff at your business. So here are a few five tips that I think that will really work for anybody to help them survive a recession or to help put them in a stronger position during a recession. So the first one is savings. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. Now, I'm saying that it's an elephant in the room because financial gurus will tell you to have an emergency savings, and then other financial gurus will tell you not to have a financial savings. My goal isn't to get you to do what I do because what I do may not work for you. Plus, everyone is at different places in their lives and everyone is different. So what I think is better to do is look at the actual situation and try to look at it factually. The reason I wanted to start with an emergency savings account is because job losses usually happen during a recession and losing a job or getting laid off can be devastating and sometimes really difficult to get back from. So why do people tell you to have an emergency savings account? Well, the answer is liquidity. Liquidity is how easy it is to access money. The main idea is to have money readily available to you in case you need it. In my opinion, no matter what 
what, in my opinion, no matter what this is, the key point of the emergent, sorry, in my opinion, the key point of having this emergency savings account is because of liquidity. So that being said, two problems arise having money in a savings account. So first, banks offer you nothing to have your money in a savings account. Uh, you know, most uh, the the average checking account has an annual percentage yield, and that average average percentage average annual percentage yield on a savings account is 0.01% for a basic savings account. That is one cent per year for every $100. Now, this may differ depending on how it's compounding, uh, but the point is, is that you're really not making anything. The second the second um, problem that arises is because of inflation. So essentially your dollar loses between 2 and 3% per year of its available spending power. Right. And so having your money in the savings account, you know, you're losing value on your dollar and you're not gaining enough value from the savings account to offset that inflation problem. So the next liquid thing that you could do are stocks. Stocks are not part. And and the reason why I'm saying just buying stocks, stocks aren't part of a retirement plan like a 401k or IRA when I'm saying buy stocks. What I'm talking about is just a straight up brokerage account. Theoretically, if you just buy S&P indexes, right, I wouldn't do the Dow Jones for a couple of reasons. The S&P has more stocks and the way the stocks are weighted are a better indicator of the economy. So if you did an S&P exchange traded fund, you'd make roughly 8% a year, which will keep up with inflation and so forth. That is why I'm a fan of putting money into a brokerage account to save so you can at least keep up with that inflation rate. The problem is that what if the emergency happens during a recession and then the S&P collapses? That's the biggest risk about putting your money that you would otherwise put into a savings account into a brokerage account. And I understand that. And that's why I'm saying it's not necessarily for everybody. That's what I specifically, that's, that's what I would like to do is just put all my money in a brokerage account. And that's sometimes what I do depending on what's going on. So I do both of these things to hedge myself. So here's how it works for me. So I do about one to two months of living expenses in my savings account. Anything else that was set aside for emergency savings, I put in a non-retirement investment account. So if I have $4,000 in living expenses a month, I keep about $6,000 in the savings account. And that is what keeps me comfortable and not worried. Unless I need to take from it, I put in my, um, unless I need to take money from it, I pull it from my non-retirement investing account. Sorry, let me rephrase that. That didn't make sense. So unless I need to take from the emergency savings account, I put anything else that I have right into my non-retirement investing account. So what I mean by that is once I get to that $6,000 in savings or five to $6,000, anything else that I would have otherwise put into that savings account, I put that into my non-retirement investment account. If an emergency happens and it takes from that savings account, I take what I need, but then I try to pull from my stock. If things are going really well, I may let the emergency fund go below that and invest some of it. Okay. So let me kind of, kind of explain that a little bit better. So essentially if an emergency happens and I take, and I I try to, I take from the savings account if I need to, or I take what I can. And then I also, if it goes below that, I then take the other amount out of my uh, brokerage account. And then I rebuild up that savings account. The idea is to have the majority of it, what you can have inside of the brokerage account and not just have it all in the savings account to have both of them. Okay. There is no secret to any of this. You know, yes, all forego some gains by not investing all of the money 
into, you know, the brokerage account, but I'm hedging myself. So I'm kind of meeting halfway. I'm putting what I think that I'll need in the savings, you know, account, not the three months or the six months, but the one to two months. And then if something horrible happens, I go ahead and pull from the stocks and, you know, I just pay, you know, if there's short-term capital gains, I just pay the short-term capital gains tax on it and I'm fine. And then I rebuild myself up. So um, since we are coming onto a recession or will eventually um, it would be a good idea to start saving now. If you have no debt to pay off, just get the emergency savings built up as fast as you can and move on to putting it into a brokerage account or investing, right? Which then brings me to debt, okay? Debt is another weird thing that financial financial gurus talk about. I would lie to you if I said that I didn't have any debt. I have school debt that I didn't manage properly that I currently don't actually pay for because it's on forbearance or whatever. And I have a very, very small car payment that will be paid off soon because I hate car debt the most and I refuse to have car payment as much as possible. Um, That being said, don't beat yourself up if you have credit card debt. Just focus on getting it controlled. But What about our oncoming recession? Whether it's consumer debt or business debt, pay it off if you can. Now, the mortgage payment may be more difficult, but the credit cards and all of those other lingering loan payments, you need to get rid of them and put as much towards them as you possibly can. Traditionally, you want to keep your debt to income payments under control for both yourself and your business. Now, I don't give a shit what people say about leverage. Yes, leveraging works, but when corporations leverage for acquisitions, they have strategies in place to not take profit from the acquisition and to pay down the debt. So I'm not going to go into exactly what that looks like, but the point is, is that you want to reduce debt as much as you can. Now, during a recession, nothing is going to be as important as the cash flow that comes from paying off that debt. So there are some expenses you don't really have any control over, but the debt you traditionally have control over. Now, the rule of thumb that I like to use for my debt to income ratio and a debt to income ratio is the percentage of your gross monthly income that goes to paying your monthly debt payment and is used by lenders to determine your borrowing risk. Okay, so you have debt, you take your debt and you divide it by your income and whatever that ratio is, is what your debt to income ratio is. So essentially, it's the amount of debt payments that you make a month as compared to the income that you're bringing in from, you know, your job or your business or whatever. My rule of thumb is never to go over 43% with your mortgage or rent payment along with the other debt. And I say rent payment in this because it's cash that you would like be using for a mortgage. So if you want to kind of get an idea of what it would be like if you have a mortgage, just take your rent, add in all of the other debts, and then divide that by your income and whatever percentage comes out, that should be 43% or less. Now, if you want to include just other debt and not your mortgage, you want to keep that number around 35%. So I'm going to give you an actual personal example of my debt to income, just my money, not including my wife's money, but me personally. So if I look at my debt, I have mortgage payment. It's $1,100. I know that's really low, but I bought in an opportune time and I don't really need a really big house because I spend my time in like two rooms. Now I pay half of that mortgage because my wife works. So I'm going to half that. So my mortgage payment is $550. I have a discover card that I have to pay $50 to every month. I have a capital one payment that I have to pay $25 to every month. I have a car payment that's $194 every month. I have a debt consolidation loan, which is $394. I owe Wells Fargo money on my Wells Fargo card. That's a, I'm 
roughly $150. I owe the IRS $50 a month. I owe Home Depot $138. And I have a 401k loan, an old one from when I bought my house and, you know, bought some stuff for the house um, a couple years ago for $158. Now, the reason why I'm being honest with you is because no one, in my opinion, has all of their shit together, even me. Anybody who says that they do is full of shit. So the total amount of money I put towards debt a month is approximately $1,709. I make roughly after tax a month with all of my endeavors, approximately $6,766 a month. If things are booming, then probably more, but on average, that's about what it is. So $1,709 divided by $6,766 comes out to roughly 25%. So if I look at that 25%, it's well below 43%, and that's why I'm in a good financial position. So because that is so low, that is why I never really experienced any problem. Now, if I didn't include the mortgage, it would be $1,159, so that's roughly 17%. And that 17% is actually probably a little off because I forgot to add in the 401k loan to that number, but you get the point. It means that I'm in a pretty good strong place, and the reason why ratios are really good is because it actually sees how bad things can be or how good things actually are. Numbers can paint a picture for what is actually really happening, and that's why I'm an advocate of utilizing numbers for looking at a situation and saying this is exactly what's happening. Now, how does this help during a recession? Well, you want to get that number as low as fucking possible. What I like to do is get rid of the lowest balance. So for me, it would be Capital One, the IRS, and then Home Depot. That is the order that I would focus on. Other people focus on the highest interest rate. I like doing the lowest balance because I like crossing stuff off and it makes me feel like I'm doing good and it keeps me motivated. But again, do what works for you. So one of the problems you might be thinking of that you have is that your debt is too high. So debt consolidation works really well. I use a company called Lending Club. Lending Club. I am not sponsored by them, but if you can buckle down and use them once, they will always lend to you. They have offered me up to $100,000 at one time. It really helps keeping a good, secure backup by having a lender that is willing to lend to you. Now, I'm going to be honest. It does suck the first couple of times. I think the second one that I did with Lending Club, it was like $1,000 a month for three years. It was super fucking hard, but we managed through it and it put us in a very good financial position. And it allows Lending Club to always lend to us. And then they gave us two other loans that was like nothing, you know, to do some other stuff. Okay. So that's something that you might want to think of. Um, Now, as long as it never goes, as long as that debt never goes against those percentages, you are in a really good shape. But because the recession is looming again, like I said before, you want to get that number as low as fucking possible. Now, something I actually think works really well that Dave Ramsey does is he has everybody like get $1,000 in their emergency account. Then you focus off on paying off the debt, the debt. So that may work really, really well for you. I've done that in the past. I think my mom's done that in the past from his total money makeover stuff. You know, there's lots of things that I don't agree with that he says, but I think that that one actually works pretty good. Point is that you don't want to use your credit card for emergencies. So you need to have some type of an emergency savings so you don't have to use credit cards or, you know, like I said, pull any pull from your brokerage account if you don't have to. That's why I kind of meet in the middle and I do like two months worth of savings and then put the rest in the brokerage account so I can get more money from it. Now, my wife and I have worked really hard to have stress-free lives so we can travel and go where we want. Uh, hence our tiny house. And But we'll probably buy a second house once the recession is over. But for now, I just like being happy. 
I like being content and satisfied and stress-free. And the only reason why I really want to be a billionaire is so that I can have a moon base um, to extract water from the moon to help, you know, travelers to Mars get water. But that is for another time. Let's take a break. And when we get back, I'll go over a few more tips. Okay, welcome back. So step three is managing your money. This means knowing what you spend every day. What I'm going to say next may sound fucking stupid and you may call me a boomer, but it kind of works really, really well. And it's using a check register. Now, I know you can look up most transactions on your bank, you know, bank on online on your banking online or online banking. But I tell you this, updating a register every night and putting in everything that you spent that day you will want to spend less because it's it's freaking annoying putting that in all of the time every single day in day out putting it in there you know you kind of see what you're spending and it lets you see all of that spending so you start to realize you're wasting money another part of managing money is using something like mint i'm a huge fan of intuit and intuit mint is like quickbooks but for yourself and it's free It lets you categorize your spending and see where most of your money is going. And most of my money goes to food, which brings up my next point is that food is outrageous right now. And I would take time to start learning to cook from home. You might think it takes too much time, but everything takes time when you don't know how to do the thing that you are learning. That is why it's called learning because you're learning after you learn the thing that you're learning. It eventually becomes more and more efficient. Most people's money goes from buying food or going and doing some entertaining things. So find ways to have entertainment at home. That's why I'm a big fan of card games or game night or video games. Um, And so you can just stay at home and have that entertainment and have people come over and have fun. And you don't have to go out and waste money, you know, going to the bars or, you know, going and doing some of that entertaining stuff, which will then hurt the economy because you're not out there spending money, but it puts you in a better position. Um, and, And then again, if you can learn to, you know, cook at home, you will save a lot of money. I really, really guarantee that. And on a personal note, that's something that I want to be, you know, doing that's really been weighing on me because it, you know, saves money not to eat out and you're able to fix your own food from a sustainability factor, right? The other thing about managing your money is learning how to use every dollar. And what I mean by that is that all the money in your account should be accounting accounted for. So no matter what dollar it is, it should be going to something and you should know where it's supposed to be going to. And then that way it helps stop you from wasting money that you would be saving or investing. All right, on to point four, investing. (laughs) If you get those other items that I mentioned under control, and you end up not losing your job and everything is good and kosher, recessions are the best time to invest. Reason being is because a lot of things are at all-time lows, which means you are buying low, as they say, and then later you can sell higher, right? Don't You don't need to go hard as a motherfucker and, you know, bet the bank on, you know, a cryptocurrency. Just go easy. Find a set of amount that you can afford and buy consistently in good quality stocks or crypto or whatever. And this is called dollar cost averaging. So you're buying inconsistently every week or every other week or every month. Sometimes you buy the thing high, sometimes you buy the thing low, but it is averaging out over time. And if you want to make it easy, just buy iShares Core S&P 500 ETF. Ticker symbol is IVV. Um, I'm a big fan of iShares. I know people are like, oh, BlackRock's a conspiracy theory. BlackRock owns iShares. I don't really give a shit about that. My point is that if you're going to buy stock, 
and you don't know which stock to buy, just buy all of them. Buy the S&P 500. I like iShares. They've never done me wrong. I own iShares. And then the rest of my stuff is main, you know, mainly single stock stuff, right? Now, if you ever thought, so that's the investing portion of it. But if you've ever thought about a side hustle, I would say invest in your side hustle because it will have much greater upside. Okay, so if you have an extra $100 a month and or $200 a month, and you have a side hustle and you're thinking, oh, should I put that into my side hustle or should I buy the S&P 500 or some cryptocurrency? Put it in your fucking side hustle. You'll have a much greater upside, which brings me to the last tip. Tip number five. Tip number five is invest in yourself or your side hustle during a recession. Recessions are a great time to learn new skills and start a business. Maybe starting a business is a business isn't for you and that's perfectly Okay. Maybe you aren't doing what you want to be doing and you want to do the thing that you always wanted to do. Recessions are a great time for this for a couple of reasons. One, you may be in a two income household and you lose your job. And if you can live on one income and your partner is okay with it, you can go and start your side hustle or learn the other thing that you want to learn. But maybe you don't lose your job, but you want to make a switch. Recessions are a great time for that. Because government tends to try to encourage people to learn new skills during recessions. So government money is plentiful. Now, if you were thinking to yourself, I can't afford learning, you're wrong. You don't necessarily have to go to a university. I love taking community college classes um, with with a book and a class. The last one that I did was like $300. Um, If I remember correctly, that is how I learned Java code. And then I did another one in Android development. You can do something like that, or you could do something like Udemy or one of those other courses, online courses that teach you a skill that you want to learn that you can then put into your side hustle or go, you know, find a job doing that. Just focus on the skill you need to learn to do the thing you want. Now, of course, a job might require a degree that you want to get into, but you, but, and you're thinking you can't afford going to a university, you can definitely get grants or scholarships for your education. It just takes time and you have to be thoughtful of it and be mindful of what you are spending because you don't want to then take on too much debt, then, then put your debt to income ratio higher. The other reason why this is good to do this during recessions is that businesses will usually lay people off. And then when the recession is over, they're going to need to hire people. And so if you have that skill set, they will probably hire you if you go apply for that job. And that's another reason why it's good to do these things during a recession, because your likelihood to be hired in the future when the recession gets over is, like I said, higher. If you were able to keep your job during this time and you have an entrepreneurial spirit, though, you need to start a side hustle. This will help increase your cash flow, which will help for the savings piece of it, the reducing debt piece of it and the investing piece of it. Okay, so those are the five tips. As a recap, the tips to help you in a recession are save, reduce debt, learn to manage your money, learn to invest, and invest in yourself by learning something new or starting a side hustle. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Remember, be thankful, grateful, and kind, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Age of Jeremy. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. If you can do me a favor, please rate this podcast if your podcatcher allows you to. Talk to you soon.